0: This is Leah Jones, Director of Financial Planning at Hightower Bethesda. Thanks for joining me today as I explore topics that I hope arm you with the ability to make smart financial decisions. This is Leah Jones from Hightower Bethesda. I'm joined today by Phil Pirio from Dedicated Defined Benefit Services. Phil is a Defined Benefit Plan Designer and has been in retirement planning, both the design and consultation, for 20 years. And uh, Phil, for purposes of our conversation today, what we want to talk about is cash balance plans. But you and I both know that they can be pretty complicated and are governed by a whole bunch of different rules depending on your particular situation, which is why it really requires uh, one-on-one consultation. But to just narrow the universe a little bit for today's call, um, what I'd like to do is make some assumptions that will simplify a conversation about defined benefit plans that is otherwise pretty complicated. And then also our listeners might be able to identify a little bit more with our conversation today as it might pertain to them. So with that being said, for today's conversation, we're gonna narrow the universe to business owners that don't have any employees. Now that could be a single member LLC or just a 1099 uh, employee. And we're gonna assume that these business owners are already maxing their 401ks with profit sharing plan benefit. Um, so max max in that area is around 57,000 if the owner is under 50 and 63,500 if the owner is over 50. So at this point, the business owner has really good cash flow. They're maxing out their kind of traditional uh, defined contribution plan benefits, um, but they have more cash flow. And they might be looking for a way to shield more income, save more for retirement, and potentially lower the their effective taxable rate. And they're actually able to do that through a combination of maximizing their 401k with profit sharing and then also adding a defined benefit plan. So I know that that was a mouthful, but this is a complicated um, subject. And in order to, this might become you know, a series between the two of us, because I know there's a lot of different directions we can go with it. But for purposes of our call today, we're going to, as we just kind of talked about, start with the basics based on that particular fact path. So can, can you just start with what is a defined benefit plan?
1: Well, sure, and I agree. Uh, We should start with the basics. And Leah, I want to thank you for the opportunity to share with your listeners today. Um, Just a little bit of a highlight about defined benefit plans. And you're right; they can get very, very complex. Um, And in a in a very good way, uh, really help clients to hold on to more of what they work so hard to earn, to keep control of their money as long as possible and then eventually to pay taxes more on their own terms. And defined benefit plans are really a qualified plan under Code Section 401. And they allow the client to put away a lot more money per dollar of taxable income than would be possible, as you pointed out, in a defined contribution plan. So if they were using a simplified employer plan or a SEP, IRA, and they were putting away $57,000 or they were putting away $63,500, for example, if they're 50 years of age or over, into a solo 401k plan, the defined benefit plan is going to allow them to increase that significantly. Now, half of our clients contribute when they start to plan above $120,000 per year into the defined benefit plan. Half put something below $120,000. So that tells me that people really are getting interested when, and they're really trying to double what they could otherwise uh, defer and uh, reduce their current tax liability. They're looking to double that number. And so that's a very important thing to remember. It doesn't have to be, by the way, three years from the time they reach a maximum in their defined contribution uh, plan. Um, so for them to be aware, I think, is half the journey to getting to a defined benefit plan, assuming that they're appropriate for it. And we'll get into that a little bit later. I think you have probably it'll lead it to, uh, our conversation will lead itself to you know who does what in these plans. But as, a, as an easy example, let's say hypothetically you put away uh, $100,000 for 10 years. Now, that is generally um, what the client would like to do, assuming they have 10 years to go until a retirement age of 62. Now, uh, what happens is, though, we are looking at distribution in a defined benefit plan, not contribution. So, really, what we're backing up to is about how the defined benefit plan can benefit them and that's clear they can put away more money they can increase their uh, decrease their current tax liability hold on to their money and then pay taxes more on their own terms
0: so let's let's kind of take a step back and and talk about a couple of the things that you said because I think you raised, Um, a couple really key points, and I want to talk about each of them. So you mentioned about half of your participants do 120000 or more, and then half do less. So let's talk about that a little bit, because I think this might be shocking to a lot of people that they could put this amount of money in addition to what they're already doing. So what are some of the factors that go into that equation of how much you can set aside again on top of what you're already doing with either a SEP or IRA or um, you know 401k with profit sharing type of
1: situation. Sure, and, and let me clarify a couple of things. Number one, um, when you add a defined benefit plan into the the qualified plan uh, area in your business, you're not actually you're, you are still able to use your 401k, but not a SEP because they're qualified under a different code section. But you can use a 401k. However, that 401k allowance is reduced on the employer contribution side a little bit. Why? Because the law is not so generous as to allow you to put away a whole lot of money in a defined benefit plan and a whole lot of money in a 401k plan. So the employer contribution is cut back a bit, but that's just uh, just to understand what goes first. The defined benefit plan goes first and the um, uh, 401k, if they choose to implement that uh, goes second or if they already have it, they can continue it. The second part of that is that a defined benefit plan, since we're thinking of distribution at a given retirement age, is based upon then age, of course, And compensation. Now, the age is pretty obvious. If you're uh, 30 years old, you've got maybe 32 years to the earliest retirement age of uh, of, uh, age 62. If you're 52, you have 10 years of of, uh, time until you hit age 62. We'll put that aside for a second. The second piece is compensation. Now, compensation is defined as earned income for these purposes, for a defined benefit plan or for a defined contribution plan, for that matter. So the defined contribution plan or the defined benefit plan is based upon earned compensation. How is that defined? Well, that's defined upon, uh, by looking at the amount of money that a participant, generally the owner, would take um, in uh, the form of, of income that would be subject to FICA, FUTA, um, in other words, self-employment taxes if you're a solo pro, uh, practitioner and you're reporting on a Schedule C or a W-2 amount if you have a corporate form in which you report your taxes.
0: And what's the, just, just so, so listeners can understand the context of this, what's the, the kind of maximum um, earned income that someone has to have in order to uh, you know, qualify for this type of plan?
1: yeah to uh, the, the minimum, I would say, is what makes sense. Uh, for example, if somebody has a second business, let's say a college professor works as a consultant to various businesses and maybe sits on a board of directors and earns 150,000 um, dollars in her side business. Well, that 150 makes great sense to work on a defined benefit plan, assuming she has uh, the appropriate age and that income, and she's trying to reduce her overall tax picture. So it helps the overall tax picture, even though it won't reduce her salary from the university, but it will allow her to put away a lot more money of the total by by reducing her $150,000 um, by contributing to a defined benefit plan. So it, it kind of depends. But the age, the closer you are to retirement age, the fewer years you have uh, to put in uh, to that plan to reach the goal uh, that's defined as the benefit, therefore the contributions get higher. The the general uh, 80% of our clients, and it's amazing how that works, uh, the old bell curve, if you know what that is, um, but that old bell curve rings between ages 45 and 65. And that's where 80% of our clients are. So clearly it's age and compensation. And the more age a client has, the higher the contributions could be if that's what they want.
0: Okay, so age, the older you are, the more you can contribute because basically you have less time, right? So the government says you can stash more away, like similarly to a catch up payment on traditional um, retirement vehicles. And on the income, you gave the example of someone that makes 150. Let's say on the flip side of that, let's say someone that makes a million. How, how can this be utilized in in that sense in terms of what amount of their income can qualify, how much they can stash away, that type of thing?
1: Yeah, defined benefit plans are not limited by a percentage of, contrib- of contribution being made based upon income, like a SEP or a 401k. Um, and so we are we are looking at a defined benefit plan that's based upon um, uh, a benefit limit and a compensation limit. The compensation limit of earned income is $285,000. So even if they do make a million dollars, the maximum of earned income, the maximum earned income we can consider is $285,000. And the the other limit in a defined benefit plan that does limit contributions some, somewhat is the benefit limit. So of the 285, we can only, that's the limit on the compensation, we can only fund for a $230,000 benefit at tops. So those are the two limits on defined benefit plans. And again, it's highly sensitive to age and income. So uh, someone might make a million dollars if you're 35, the, result in, the resulting uh, contribution is going to be much lower than if you're uh, 55.
0: And let's talk a little bit about how that actual calculation is done, because if I'm a listener right now, I'm thinking, okay, this sounds interesting. I'd love to be able to stash some more money into a retirement fund. How do I find out you know, how much I can stash away?
1: Well, generally speaking, you know, some companies, um, uh, our particular firm dedicated to find benefits services um, has an online calculator that someone could use to get an idea, but the best way to do it would be to call their financial advisor and to see whether or not, um, uh, it would be appropriate to, to, uh, explore this. And if that's what their desire is, then they would call a third party administrator, hopefully like us or us particularly, that would be wonderful. Um, and we do illustrations for folks constantly. Um, so, uh, it, it it's, that's really the way they find out. There are no real charts. There are a few. Uh, we have one, actually, that we can look at. Um, but they're pretty general. And the the contribution amounts and the design of the plan usually should be done with a little more finesse, even from the beginning. So if they call a third-party administrator, um, illustrations are available.
0: Right. And just to add some context to that, so how the process could work, if you work with a financial advisor um, and you also have a CPA might say, hey, does this make sense? The two of those people would coordinate, say, yes, we think it does, or no, we think it doesn't. And then the third party administrator, which is what what you are, is really has the expertise in this because it is so complicated um, and there are all these guidelines that have to be Followed um, and there's also actuarial um, actuarial assumptions that have to be computed. So it's not like you just look at a chart and say, "Well, it's 2020. Uh, the contribution is indexed to inflation and it went up $500, right?" It's much more.
1: It's right. much more complicated
0: right. than that. Right. And right. so that's that's kind of how we all mm-hmm. come about. Uh, to work together. and then on an ongoing basis, you continue to help that client with supporting what that calculation is because again, it's not a perfect uh, perfect number each year um, and it changes. And so based on what the client is trying to try and accomplish and what their cash flow is and what their age is and all those different things, those factors all change. So I think that's a really important um, kind of part to talk about. Another thing that that you had mentioned, and this is a really popular question. So most people think of defined benefit plan as kind of um, very you know, traditional plan and you've got to contribute to it for a really, really long time for it to make sense. And so this is kind of a, a popular, I think, misconception from talking to you about it. So talk to me a little bit about if you're a business owner you're making a lot of money, you want to stash some of it away, you want to maximize your retirement, you want to lower your taxable, um, effective tax rate what are you what do you have to think about in terms of your time commitment to potentially setting up a defined benefit plan for yourself
1: yes well that that brings up a very important aspect of defined benefit plans you know the law does not specify how many years one must sponsor a defined benefit plan because everybody knows life happens right uh, everybody knows things happen and so there's no specific number of years However, the very first qualifying factor is that the plan, in, when it's set up, should be intended to be a permanent employee benefit plan. Well, what does that mean? Maybe employee benefit plan I get, but what's permanent? Well, over the years, three to five years of having the plan has become an acceptable length of time to establish that permanency requirement. Now, generally speaking, um, we have, I bet you, I only have one conversation of a, out of a year out of hundreds of conversations where somebody says, gosh, I'd, I'd like to put, uh, I've never made more than $50,000 this year. I make a million next year. I want to terminate my plan, but this year I want to put in a whole lot of money and then be one and done. Well, that doesn't work. That, that violates the spirit of these plans. And so that's not advisable to proceed in that case. However, we do know that life does happen, as I said. So somebody might have been going along at a pretty good clip. They have a million dollar a year. The next year, they know for sure it's going to go down to 200,000 again as the more normal. Well, gosh, you can really maximize in that one year. And then we can amend the plan to a lower amount um, uh, for subsequent year for the subsequent year and, and, sub- and subsequent years. And so... And that's within the spirit, you see, because the client's thinking about keeping that that plan for a while. However, you know, as I said, everybody knows life happens, and what is in writing. So we're sort of saying three to five years is the is the benchmark for keeping a plan. But what happens in the first couple of years? Well, if there is a substantial change in business condition, and this is in writing, then that constitutes a valid reason to Um, uh, terminate the plan with no adverse consequences to the taxpayer. So uh, there's a lot more flexibility and a a lot less stricture, if you will, um, with these plans. And there are some internal things on contributions that go into even more detail, but uh, not what you asked me. So as far as committing, three to five years, as far as you can see, barring anything unforeseen, and then, even in the first couple of years, you have an out card to play.
0: Yeah, and I, I, think, I think that's a really important point because what it sounds like is, as long as the you know the intent is good, then things happen, and everybody's aware of that. Obviously, twenty twenty was a, a great illustration of having really good intentions and then things happening. So, um, I think that kind of the out from financial cause is huge because it means that you don't have to feel additional strain um, should a defined benefit plan no longer financially make sense or be viable for you. And I and, and one illustration of this is we had talked about um, a client that was concerned, well, my company is doing so good. I'm making so much money. I might be aggressively growing my company. What if I have 10 employees next year and this no longer, you know, financially makes sense. So that's an example of something that could lead to the termination for a financial cause, correct?
1: Mhm. Yes, absolutely right.
0: Yeah, and and so in that case, right? Okay. So something like that happens, um you shut down the plan. What happens at that point? Are there any penalties? What happens to the money? That type of thing.
1: Sure. Yeah, at any point where the plan is terminated, then the amount that the participant, meaning generally the owner and their their spouse, because we're talking about defined benefit plans, traditional defined benefit plans, we're assuming they do not have employees in these examples, by the way. So, but the, the uh, uh, self-employed person and or their spouse, if that spouse was participating in the business and in the plan, would have their account balance rolled to an IRA, an individual retirement account, and it would stay there and continue to grow uh, without any taxable consequences. Um, and there, we, as a third-party administrator firm and the actuary, would determine what is the maximum amount that can be rolled into that uh, retirement account. So we measure every single year, the actuary measures and certifies that the plan is, is sufficiently funded and that we're not running up any big excesses. Um, So that what we want to do for our clients is make sure that they're getting the ability to roll everything they have in their retirement plan. And should they terminate into an individual retirement account with as few hiccups as humanly possible. And we do that 99.9% of the time. Occasionally somebody will hit a, uh, an unexpected big investment right at the end before they were going to retire, and then we have to uh figure out some other alternative ways to <clears throat> take care of things um but it's it happens pretty rarely, so we watch it very closely we make sure they're funding their plan properly every year the actuary certifies that, which validates their deductibility and then of course they've they certified that the funding is sufficient. So it goes to an individual retirement account to um, answer that question.
0: Yeah. So, so just to be clear, you know, you're a business owner, you're making a million dollars a year, you set up a defined benefit plan. It makes sense for you. And then, you know, next year or two something happens where financially it doesn't make sense anymore. And um, so you terminate the plan and what you can do, uh, you know, provided you're within all the guidelines that, that you were needed to be, uh, needed to meet, et cetera, working with your TPA, you would then be able to roll those funds over to an IRA with no penalty. So there's no penalty. The money is still in a retirement account for you. It's just in an IRA versus the defined benefit plan. And then obviously you, you can't make any, you know, larger contributions
1: um, to it. Correct. That is correct, and they may terminate their defined benefit plan and hold on to the 401k plan uh, if they're continuing their business um, and reduce their contributions down to the limits that are that are applicable at that time.
0: Let's let's talk about this. What's the maximum? Because again, it's it's pretty. I know the answer to this question, um, but it's a pretty large number. What is the maximum that a business owner can put into their own defined benefit plan?
1: Yeah, it's an accumulation at, at age sixty-two, and if they um, have the income to make that happen, meaning that they can go all the way to the maximum benefit of two hundred and thirty thousand dollars, it's about two point nine million this year, uh, just just about touching on three million. Um, that would be available to roll to an individual retirement account at that time.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's a huge number. So so again. This is someone that has a lot of cash flow, can make the contributions and uh, assuming that they fit in the appropriate age range, um, the, the maximum that they could do is 230,000 a year and the maximum contributions over whatever the you know time frame is that you're doing the calculations on can be 2.9 million dollars someone can put away and we're not even talking about now does that factor in the growth or is that just their contributions?
1: There are growth assumptions within how these plans operate, and the growth assumption is 5%. And so as they go along, their financial advisor uh, would be helping them them to set their objectives and and the vehicles they're using as an investment vehicle to meet the objective of earning something between 3% and 6%, so percent per year. And um, uh, it's not a perfect world. There's friction in it. So it can vary. The point is that you don't have to um, reach for investment results in a defined benefit plan. The reward is really the reduction in current tax liability and the ability to hold on to that money.
0: So just to clarify on that 2.9 million, that does assume an investment return. So the, so the contributions plus the investment return can max out at 2.9 million.
1: That is correct. It's a total accumulation. Yeah, Got that's it. right. It's not just contributions. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay.
0: Can you just provide us with some real-world examples of, you know, how this is used?
1: Sure. You know, as self-employed people generally, um, you know, and I, I, I've been one, and I understand from my own experience that this is true. Self-employed people really look to put away for their retirement. And this is away from the discussion of tax deductions and reducing current tax liability. But they really have a tendency to find use for money. You know, they're they're raising a family and they're they're buying a home and they're uh, they've got kids in school and they've got you know they're putting back their money in their business. And that's right. That.
0: I always I always say to our business owners, I always say to them, if you're not saving for your retirement, nobody else is.
1: <laughs> that's it. And it's a, it should be a you first kind of thing it's hard to do though right. from personal experience and you are exactly right Leah so uh, that's that's very very good advice however let's take an attorney who's 72 and uh, you know you would you say well is, is that too late to start no actually not the plan would would be set up to last five years um, and that attorney uh, Felt that woman or man could possibly put away three hundred thousand or somewhere between two and three hundred thousand for the next five years, and really make up uh, make a big dent in that that lack of retirement savings that they've been habitually used to not making, and so uh, this really helps.
0: I would also say, Phil, on the flip side of that, because I've seen this as well we have clients that have done a more traditional job for years and years and years. And then when they go to retire, because of their expertise, they're sought after for various reasons. So now all of a sudden they're, they're consultants, You know they have self-employment income. And uh, I think this is an interesting point because it was just recently that they lifted the age restrictions um, for allowing people that are older um, to, You know, add to their retirement accounts. So, you know, this is something where if you're consulting and you're making a a ton of income, this is another potential uh, tax shield for you. Again, granted, you know that you don't need to live off of the income. You have the ability, to your point, to to stash away a lot in retirement, whether I guess you know you need it or not. Um, But either way, you you would have that as an
1: option. That is correct. That is correct, and that's why. Um, actually last year in one of the pieces of legislation that happened, the, uh, minimum retirement age to take required minimum distributions was raised to 72 from 70 and a half. And, um, that's really significant because we have a lot of our clients who are uh, 65 plus who are doing, as you say, they're, they have act two that they're, they're playing out, um, after their, their very successful career in whatever they were doing, they're consulting and they're doing all sorts of interesting things, but those dollars ended up being a tax problem. So at 72, though, we can set it up so we're even deferring the, even then, a couple of years at least, maybe three years, uh, deferring the current tax that would be sub- they'd be subject to uh, on re- required minimum distributions. Oh, so no. now that's interesting. I'm not going
0: to go into that too much right no. now. We'll leave that as a teaser, but that's an interesting. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's a very interesting. We certainly can. Okay. All right. So yeah. we talked about we can, someone that's older uh, that has that income. Um, what's yep. what's another example?
1: Well, uh, let, let me give you another one. Um, somebody, uh, you know, a classic and and right in the sweet spot in terms of uh the age of a participant, a 50-year-old with a million-dollar income, um, can put away maybe 25 or 30 percent of that, which is, you know, a, a lot of money, um, if they're looking for max contributions uh, to age 62. And it might put away two uh, uh, 220 to 240 annually in the defined benefit plan plus the 401k. So it 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 really can be a tremendous opportunity depending on the situation and the exact age of the person of course now if you have somebody that's in in their 30s it would a uh, defined benefit plan work and the answer is it it still could so if somebody's out there that's 30 and listening or 35 or 40 don't feel like this is for something that's fit anybody 50 plus because if your income is high enough you're still going to be able to basically double what you could do in a defined contribution plan, That's so right. it's really important. Really important for even a younger people with a larger income to at least explore the possibilities of a defined benefit plan in conjunction with a four hundred and one k plan.
0: Yeah, and I've I've had um, clients in in this demographic as well come to me and say, I'm you know I'm making a lot of money. Or I'm paying so much money in taxes is there anything else i can do and so i think this is is a great illustration of something that they can do if they're willing to uh put that money into a retirement account then right. they can it's not you know they can't put as much as a 50 or 70 year old could but because of the power of compounding if they're putting it that amount in when they're 30 i mean they're going to exceed what people are putting at 50 and uh, seventy-two. So, um, yeah, I think I think if if you have the discipline to do it, and you're at that age, and you can live off of the rest of your cash flow and stash this away, I think it's a no-brainer, and it's gonna make you a lot wealthier in the future.
1: Yeah, but I, and I think there's one thing that's true regardless of the age of the client is that you know people move away from pain a lot faster than they move towards something that's pleasurable. And um, for example, if you hold on to a hot match, uh, you're going to let go of that pretty quick and move away from that. Um, if you uh, hold on to an unlit match, well, uh, that would be strange to do that. But, uh, you know, it's not painful. So, you, you know, you might put it back in the box. You might play with it or whatever. But the point is the pain of paying taxes sometimes is, in fact, all the time. So what motivates our client first? and the nice benefit and the nice byproduct of that is that they have indeed put away a lot of money for their retirement when they turn around and look so they've really accomplished both points yeah and, and it is it's been great
0: i like that i like that analogy let's let's talk a little bit about that because taxes are top of everyone's mind and so if you're listening to this call right now and you're saying oh my gosh i didn't know about this but i'm really interested but the end of the year already passed i'm a business owner what are the deadlines? What do people need to be thinking about in terms of getting this thing open, funding it, and making it happen?
1: The interesting thing is that there was a piece of legislation called the Secures Act that passed uh, December twentieth and was signed at the end of two thousand nineteen. That for the first time in forty years has changed the rule that the plan must be signed and in effect, in effect, by twelve thirty one of the. Uh, tax year in which you'd like it to be effective. So we have until the due date of the person's tax return, which is really an interesting thing. Very odd to me, who all my career has looked at 1231 as the drop uh, dead date and accommodating most people who want to do that. But on the other hand, this is a great opportunity. if if, if If you think you've missed it, it's a good thing to look at and to see if, and you may have for other reasons, or perhaps you're an S corporation and didn't take an appropriate amount of w two to power a really big contribution, but it's certainly worth a look. and um, and so I would encourage uh, any of your your folks here, your listeners to at least explore the possibility and they can do it legally and perfectly uh, for uh, twenty twenty. And if it doesn't work for 2020, well, I can get started early uh, for their, their planning for their future uh, uh, in 21.
0: So if so, there's a lot of taxes that file all the way in October, okay? So does that mean that those businesses that file all the way in October would have the ability to fund and make their contribution to a defined benefit plan for 2020, all the way through October of 2021?
1: Theoretically, yes. However, there, with defined benefit plans, there are a lot of things that happen in between. For example, the first deadline to report the, uh, your, your, the, from the plan is July 31st. Well, if it's October, you've already passed that. Um, minimum funding deadline is September 15th. Well, if you're in October, you've already passed that. What's going to happen? If I, and I am, if I were going to recommend something, I would say, do it earlier rather than later, because we are looking at 2020. And you should have a pretty good idea of what kind of income you've got. So explore it now before this plan becomes more expensive. So for example, if you've got to pay for an extension, in addition to paying for getting the forms done, if you got to pay for an extension beyond 731 or you end up having to pay a penalty for the privilege of being, being able to go to October, it doesn't make any sense. So I would recommend people look at it right now and think about that, their due date, whether it's their corporate form, March 15th, if they're um, a, a, a sole proprietor or a partnership, April 15th you know just look at that now and and get that settled and find out if it's a a viable opportunity and B keep the cost as low as possible in, in the in the parameters that we know exist so I, I can't emphasize that more uh, in terms of the importance of, of people looking at this now as opposed to waiting till the very last minute in October and then finding out it's either a more expensive proposition than they thought, uh, or just not being able to do it. We really don't know because there wasn't a lot of guidance around this, this law. And so there's some of those things are still going to be the thrill of discovery. And I'd rather not our clients discover that, um, there's a problem.
0: Right. Yeah. So the good news is there's a lot more flexibility than there was yep. previously. So if we were having this call and we were under the old guidelines, we would only be talking about funding for 2021 but now we can in fact fund for 2020 we know that for certain but you know guidance would be just get it done sooner than later so that you don't run afoul of any of these deadlines that you need to make to certify the plan so i think that's really great advice and uh to your point you know businesses should have enough input um you know certainly in the first quarter of uh 2021 to to be able to make a good you know, educated decision about whether this makes sense for them or not. And, you know, as always, you, this is why you've got advisors around you is, is to talk about it with them and see if it makes sense. Um, Well, I think this was all really insightful, great information. And uh, Phil, just any like closing thoughts on what we've been talking about today?
1: Well, uh, you know, I want to thank you for the opportunity of of just, you know, sharing this uh, time with you and Um, you know, talking about something that I know helps a lot of people. Um, And, you know, other thoughts? Well, gosh, if you're looking to decrease your current tax liability, hold on to the money that that you worked so hard to get, uh, keep control of it, and to pay taxes eventually more on your own terms. We could explore that. That that maybe if we have another chance to chat, what that means. And so uh, it means a lot. And so what we can do is talk about that uh, maybe some other time. But I would just say, if you have a question about it, it doesn't cost anything to ask. It doesn't hurt anything to check. And um, certainly bring in your CPA to make sure that the plan is appropriate for you. Um, And we speak to CPAs all the time uh, in what we're doing with our clients. So.
0: Yeah, and and uh, and and Phil, I have to echo your sentiment. I get really excited about this as well because um our biggest goal at High Tower Bethesda and through this podcast is to help empower people to make smart financial decisions. And, and the more I explore and look at this and have conversations with you about it, it's just such a smart financial decision for all those reasons that you mentioned, you know, lower your effective tax rates, dash more money away for retirement, be able to control it. Um, be able to to put a lot more away. Um, it's I, I just think it's very empowering. And you know the financial geek in me gets very excited about this. So that's why I wanted wanted to do a podcast yeah. on it. Yeah. <laughs> and I do have a gotcha. feeling do have a feeling this will be a multi-series because it is it is complex and it is very situational. And there are a a lot of nuances that we haven't even talked about today. Oh yeah. I really just wanted to stay high level and just impart what you and I know, which is that this is really smart vehicle. It makes sense for a lot of people and it's really underused. So uh, hopefully um, someone that was listening today, uh, it it strikes a light bulb in there and and you start up a conversation and it leads to you making smarter financial decisions. So thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, you're certainly welcome, and thank you for that opportunity uh, again.
0: Hightower Bethesda is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Bethesda and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Hightower Bethesda and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.